Welcome to Hub and Flow, a podcast produced by Natural Gas Intelligence. On a mission to provide transparency to the natural gas market, Hub and Flow focuses on key fundamentals driving the price of natural gas and LNG in the United States, Canada, and Mexico. Natural Gas Intelligence, or NGI, is a subscription based price reporting agency, which means we provide trusted and independent natural gas pricing and news for the North American market. Welcome to another episode of NGI's Hub and Flow. I'm Letitia Gonzalez, Price and Markets Editor. Joining me today are NGI Price Analyst Josiah Kleindens and Justin Mavis. Thank you guys for joining me today. Yeah, thanks for having us. Thanks for having us. Well, it's early August, and while this normally would be a time of year where we'd start talking about peak summer heat, let's be real. Peak summer really started here in Texas, where I am in June, and really has continued unabated since then. In fact, ERCOT, the power grid operator for the state, set another record for peak electricity consumption in the first week of August. And honestly, I've lost count of how many records have fallen. I think it's like seven. Notably, though, even though natural gas demand for power generation is surging in Texas and really throughout the greater South Central region, gas prices are sitting at some of the lowest levels that we've seen in years. Spot gas prices at the U.S. benchmark Henry Hub are sitting close to around $2.50, while prices in Texas and throughout the country's midsection in the Midwest, they're kind of closer to the $2 mark. Over on the East Coast, prices are even lower, and we're seeing cash prices in the dollar range. But forward prices, those aren't faring too much better. We've seen $2 pricing over the next few months, at least, before we get into the winter months. So that's really what brings us here today. And Justin and Josiah, I know when we first started talking about coming on Hub and Flow to discuss the market, we kind of likened it to a fireside chat where, you know, that we could have with our audience. But given that it's close to 100 degrees here outside where I am in Houston, and it's at least warm where you guys are in Virginia, Josiah, and in San Diego for you, Justin. I think today's chat is more appropriate for the pool side. So let's go ahead and grab a virgin pina colada and dive into exactly (laughs) why prices are struggling to gather any momentum. So Josiah, I'm going to start with you and let's talk a little bit about demand and power burns and how they're trending right now. Can you give us a little insight into that? Yeah, absolutely. When talking about power burns and demand, though, let's talk about the temperatures so like you mentioned before, Letty, um, across South Central and Texas, it's definitely above average for sure this summer with Texas and Louisiana experiencing the hottest days in June and July. In fact, two coastal parishes in Louisiana are actually recording their warmest Junes on record for this year. The Mid-Atlantic and Northeast are experiencing a cooler than average summer, though. And similarly, most of California is also experiencing a cooler than average summer the outlier in California being coastal Northern California with a warmer than usual summer. They may be cooler than average, but they do not feel like it. That's for sure. Despite this though, power burns this past week averaged 44 BCF a day and a record power burn of 50.3 BCF a day occurred on July 27th. That week's power burn average was 47 BCF a day. Hopefully, if the temperature forecasts for August are close, we will start seeing power burn demand taper off as we get through the rest of the month. 
last July's power burn record was 48.8 BCF a day, with that week's average sitting at 45.6 BCF a day. So we're seeing that upward trend. Hopefully it doesn't continue next summer. And we're projected daily power burns lower so far this August, averaging 43.9 BCF a day. Yeah. Well, that's definitely some good news here in Texas. It would be really nice to see some lower temperatures and lower power burns. But obviously, we're still sitting in early August and there's a lot of summer left. And I do know that the latest weather models are showing the potential for widespread heat again in the latter part of the month. Whether that actually comes to fruition, though, that's another story. I know that a lot of times when we're looking at these long-range forecasts, it looks like we're going to see some extreme heat in the back end. But then as that forecast rolls forward, then we see actually a little bit slightly cooler temperatures taking place. So we'll see how the actual forecast plays out. But Joe, aside from power burns, gas prices, particularly at the Henry Hub and along the South Central region, those are heavily influenced by LNG exports. And I know this is something that you track regularly. Can you give us a little insight into how LNG demand is faring this summer and then what we can expect later on this year? Yeah, absolutely. Like others who track this before diving into the data, I thought that Demand was lower than last summer, but actually looking at the data, the opposite is true because monthly fee gas deliveries are higher than last summer. Even with Sabine Pass going partially offline in June for maintenance the entire month, the average was marginally higher than last June at 11.05 BCF a day compared to last June's 11.03. And this July, LNG fee gas deliveries averaged 12.21 BCF a day, while last July they only averaged 10.89 due to, of course, Freeport LNG being offline. Like many things, LNG facilities are also not as efficient when working in high temperatures, so the fee gas flows are lower in the summer than other seasons due to this, but that doesn't seem to be stopping a new average record this summer. So thankfully, there's plenty of supply for both LNG demand and power burn, and we're able to meet that. But we will see uh, even more rising demand in the fall, of course, as LNG importers begin to prepare for the winter heat demand. This will most likely help support prices, not just at Henry Hub, but everywhere else, especially in Europe and Asia, but maybe only a marginal rise. Don't take my word for that, though. But of course, there's still plenty of gas in storage here. Europe storage report, they are near 90% storage capacity already. And we're in early August. Last year, that capacity wasn't reached until early October. So, yeah, something to consider there. There are several other LNG projects under construction as well, which will increase LNG feed gas demand even further. So you have uh, Golden Pass LNG and Plaque Mines LNG and Energia Costa Azul LNG in Baja, Mexico. All three are supposed to come online sometime next year. Estimates are from Golden Pass and Plaque Mines in the Gulf area. You're going to see an increase of 1.3 to 1.5 BCF a day on average. And then Energia Costa Azul Phase 1 will be around 1 BCF a day increase of demand from uh, mostly North Baja pipeline. But you see some other pipeline projects possibly 
in the winds to help support that demand so that, that they're not completely dependent on California prices, but we'll see what happens. Well, that's really good insight. Yeah. And I know that the LNG story is really what's driving a lot of the positive momentum that we've been seeing in the gas market. Despite looking at prices today, I know that people are looking out on their horizon and companies up and down the value chain. That That's what they're looking at is that this is kind of a lull in the market, but we see those projects coming online and we're going to obviously need the supply to, to meet that increase in demand. So yeah, let's shift gears for a little bit and now get into the supply side of the equation, because that's also the big reason why prices are so low right now, in spite of these record power burns and, like you said, higher than last year feed gas demand serving these LNG facilities. So you mentioned storage. Um, You mentioned European storage was already sitting at 90% of capacity well before they typically do during the year. And that's really also the case here in the United States as well. I believe the storage story here in the lower 48 is really one that started last winter, what I like to call the winter that wasn't, because really, unless you lived out west, you didn't really see much of a winter. And I think every month from January through the spring was really in the top 10 as far as warmest on record. So despite starting off the season, the winter season, in what could have been a very precarious situation at the time, inventories were actually below historical levels. They, We've seen what we've seen happen throughout the winter when it was warm is that we didn't withdraw very much. And then that's kind of also sort of what's played out here this summer, only now we're talking about summer heat not really being very widespread. And so that's really actually led to larger injections. And we've seen inventories go from a deficit to a surplus. And even if you look at where inventories were at the beginning of the injection season to where they are now, we've seen that surplus actually expand a bit. As of July 28th, stocks were already at three TCF. This isn't a level that we usually reach until September. So just for comparison's sake, that's 550 BCF above where we were last year at that time and 322 BCF above the five-year average. So what's actually been pretty remarkable about where storage is is that we have seen that surplus continuing to build in spite of a record hot June and record hot July. But that's really not to say that we're not seeing anything supportive in the storage data. In fact, the last several injections have been pretty small. They've fallen short of historical levels and we've chipped away at that surplus. We're now at a four-month low over the five-year average, that surplus. So if we look at the current outlooks, the current weather forecast, we do still see several weeks of heat in Texas. And so the market is already looking at these numbers and that overhang is expected to fall. And so we've seen some estimates suggest that we could be facing a surplus of only around 250 BCF by the time September rolls around. And then if September also trends hotter than normal, which seems to be always the case here in Texas, then we could be sitting at only a 200 BCF surplus by the end of that month. So definitely some things to watch and and some signs of support already being seen in the market. That's right. Yeah, that's definitely supportive of prices if, if it were to come to fruition. And we know in Texas, the heat can linger well 
beyond August and even September, but more than storage. Production seems to be what market chatter has been uh, talking about for months now. Production estimates, of course, are, are they vary during the winter. And we've seen dry gas output reach around 104 BCF a day. And we've seen that number come off by a few BCF, but I, I get a sense that the market was looking for a much sharper downturn given how low prices are. Lady, what do you think we're going to see the kind of pullback in production that can bring this market back into balance and possibly provide some uplift to prices? Yeah, that's an excellent question, Justin. I think one that the market actually has been asking itself for for probably a couple of months now. We're still in the middle of earnings season. We've got several companies that are still reporting, so a ways to go. But obviously, we've learned a lot already. The drop in the natural gas rate count has been heavily discussed. And looking at the numbers, it's really no surprise. The gas rate count as of August 4th, and this is according to Baker Hughes data, It was down to 128. So that's 20% below year ago levels. Obviously, we're seeing a huge decline, 36% down year over year in the Haynesville. We've got some higher break-even costs out there. The Marcellus is also down about 13%. And interestingly, the Permian is only down 5%. And of course, a lot of the gas that's coming out of the Permian is associated gas that's really led by oil drilling. So oil prices are still high. And so we're still seeing quite a bit of activity there. So that's why you're seeing only a 5% decline in the rig count for natural gas in the Permian. Of course, at the heart of the decline is prices. So that really resulted in a slower pace of business for several of the oil field service companies that we've been following this quarter. Now, for some, the decline in activity occurred so quickly that they've already feel that they've reached their lowest point of the year and are looking ahead to a rebound in the third quarter. So management for Patterson UTI, they're a Houston-based company. They said that they believe the rig count is actually already near a bottom and expect both the rig count and fracture activity to improve later this year and, of course, in 2024. Helmerich and Payne CEO John Lindsay also said he believes that some of the uncertainty in the gas market has receded and they're starting to see signs of optimism on the horizon. Of course, as we get into the fall and winter months, obviously we expect to see a step up in prices as we see stronger demand in the winter season. But of course, that still begs the question, when might we actually see the results of the decline in the rig count? And that really just depends on the producer. For EQT, which is the U.S.'s largest natural gas producer, production fell for the second quarter in a row during the second quarter. Now, this wasn't something that took the producer by surprise, given where prices are, but overall, it's maintaining its 2023 production forecast and its capital budget, which includes a plan to complete up to 38 net wells. For range resources and Appalachian Pure Play, It has one of the lowest full cycle break-even costs in the industry, so it's projecting production at the end of the year to be 2.2 BCFE per day, which is up from 2.08 BCFE per day in the second quarter. So a little bit of an uptick there. Now, for Haynesville, where I mentioned you the break-even costs are a lot higher, 
For Comstock Resources, it's definitely been a challenging year. They've recently dropped two rates from their legacy acreage. That said, their low-cost structure helped it to produce 1.4 BCFE per day during the quarter, which is up 2% year over year. So all in all, it looks like we haven't maybe quite reached a bottom in rig activity, depends on which company you're listening to. But there's certainly a lot of optimism as we get into 2024 and beyond. And I think that's really where everybody is in agreement. Whether we've hit the low, we are not sure yet, but we do know that there is optimism starting next year. That's great to know, Letty. Thank you so much for that. And I mean, look, it looks like that we may have to wait a bit longer for the market balance and prices to come up a bit, but it does sound like there's a lot of optimism. Of course, while gas prices are still low pretty much everywhere across the lower 48, we have California. Aside from the heat in parts of the state, the entire region in the Pacific has experienced a lot of upstream gas flow curtailments that have given rise to prices in the region while lowering prices everywhere else. Just last Tuesday, the uh, Permian Highway Pipeline returned to full capacity, which rallied Oaxaca cash. Friday, July 28th, PHP experienced a, a significant unplanned maintenance event, which had reduced gas flows uh, and cratered Oaxaca's daily price from 217 to negative 51.5 cents per MBTU. That's a reduction of 119% day over day. Since the return to normal capacity, Oaxaca has rebounded to just over a dollar. At the close of the month, and it actually settled at 214 last Friday. Second week of July, cash prices in the Pacific Northwest also began to rise, partly due to scheduled maintenance on GTN, Gas Transmission Northwest, uh, Kingsgate, and Sumas stations. Back in July 12th, Northwest Sumas, we've noticed that it's been pulling our uh, Rocky Mountain regional average prices upward. Cash at Northwest Sumas had averaged 390 per MMBTU which also set the summer high at 482.5. Just to note, GTN also rescheduled its Eastport station maintenance, which was originally planned for uh, sometime in June. And it's now scheduled to, to begin August 22nd through the 24th. So that's something to keep an eye on next month. And as we know, going back to California, we're not immune to unplanned outages out here. Last month on the 26th, SoCalGas announced a 650 MMCF per day capacity reduction at the uh, Wheeler Ridge station beginning uh, July 27th through August 11th. This curtailment actually had a significant impact on cash prices. We saw SoCal CityGate hit 12.33 per M. That's up 88% day over day from the 5.58 prior. As to note, Needles Tilpock Line 3000 had been shut for maintenance. That was back in July, on July 17th, and with the expectation to resume flow. The following day, or today, actually, Needles Topak is a key location of our SoCal border average price. Month to date in August, SoCal border index, our SoCal border index has averaged 511 per MMBTU over the last five trading days. When I compared that to last year, we saw during that same time frame, we averaged 920 per MMBTU, which is a huge decrease year over year. So that's pretty telling as to where we're headed for SoCal border. But Letty, as you mentioned, there's still a ways to go before summer is over. We have a lot of weather-driven power demand, which is expected as we enter the hottest months out here in California from July through August. Temperatures were forecasted ranging from the 90s to the 110s. Last Thursday, the EIA reported a minus 2 BCF withdrawal in the Pacific region. 
which marks the very first this summer as inventories fell to 230 BCF, which is also 23 BCF lower than last year and the lowest level at this point in 14 years of EIA data. Now, natural gas for power generation has increased by a little over uh, a little over seven and a half percent from 2019 through 2021. That's the, the data that we have currently. And with this lower gas and storage, I expect renewables to continue to pick up the difference. Total renewables led by both solar and wind had been making up over a quarter of California's total generation over the same time period. And I expect that figure to increase when the California Energy Commission releases the 2022 system generation data in the coming months. Yeah, well, California certainly is a market that we've been watching very closely over the last year when we, as I mentioned earlier, came had a really harsh winter and we saw some really high prices out there. And so we're still seeing that volatility, certainly not to the levels that we saw prices hit in the wintertime, but we're still seeing that volatility anytime you have some maintenance, whether planned or unplanned, come up. We see those spikes. So I expect that we'll continue to watch that market as we transition to the fall and then ultimately to the winter. So I appreciate that insight, Justin. Of course, there's also a lot of other uncertainties for the macro outlook. We've been keeping a pulse on the tropics, and there hasn't really been a whole lot to discuss just yet in the Atlantic hurricane season, but we are in the historical peak period now, which runs through the end of October. NOAA is actually scheduled to provide an update to its outlook on August 10th, so we'll be looking for that. But in its original forecast, which they released in May, NOAA called for 12 to 17 name storms, five to nine hurricanes, and one to four major hurricanes. A major storm, that's never something we we want here on the Gulf Coast, but I don't think I'm alone in hoping that we do get a little bit of rain soon. Josiah Jostin, thank you so much for sharing your insights today on Hub & Flow. I know we covered a lot But this was great intel for our audience to have. And so I'm sure we'll be back soon with another quick take on the market. Until then, you can follow market news and other news in NGI's Daily Gas Price Index and our other publications by visiting our website at naturalgasintel.com. As always, thank you all for listening to Hub & Flow. Until next time, take care. Dependable data drives informed business decisions. Trust NGI to provide your natural gas and LNG data for North America. If your business requires daily, weekly, or midweek pricing data, forward curves, or flow data, NGI has a reliable product suite to support you. Visit natgasintel.com backslash services to understand what we have to offer and how we can help you and your business today. Thank you for listening to NGI's Hub & Flow podcast today. We encourage you to subscribe to the podcast, rate and review it, and please do share it with your colleagues. A trusted provider of natural gas news, data, and pricing information for North America, NGI offers subscription-based products. Please visit natgasintel.com if you are interested in NGI and our services. If you would like to dive deeper into this subject, additional resources are available on our website as well. Just visit natgasintel.com and click on the resources tab to find the podcast page.